Did you have a secret place where you kept Playboys or other <laughs> magazines of such sort? At growing up, you mean? Yeah. As a kid? Yeah. Before um, you were legally allowed to own such things. I didn't. I, so I had a box of personal effects, um, but they were all pretty innocent. I had like Chinese finger trap and mm. and like a compass with binoculars and just tchotchkes, just stuff that I was like, I don't want that to get lost. I kind of put it all in the box. Um, the only contraband I had was matches. Mm. And I think at my 10th birthday, I had a sleepover and my my buddies, I was like, hey, take a look at my box of tricks. <laughs> So we were lighting matches in the basement. My dad came down. And he was like, what the hell are you doing? And I had and I had no good excuse. The, I feel like I had a whole operation for any Playboys I owned underage. And I can talk about this now because we're probably past the statute of limitation. Absolutely. Seven things. years probably. On yeah. That. Uh, I had a friend who basically just stole Playboys from his uncle anytime he went over there. I don't know how he didn't get caught. And then every once in a while, he would give me one, and I would have to find a place to keep it. I think it was usually like in a closet. Uh, so your friend's uncle was the Playboy Baron, and then he got them, and then they, that and was, then you got some of his. That was the so f- so trickle down is real. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like I got my first Playboy from him as a, like a birthday present or something. Nice. What are friends for? When did you buy your first Playboy? I don't think I've ever bought a Playboy magazine. Oh, wow. In my life. I've bought some real cheap smut. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I don't think I Playboy. ever bought a Playboy. Yeah. 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 It was two days after my 18th birthday. I went into a gas station. It was like one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. Uh, <laughs> and you've uh, had many. Oh, yeah. I've had plenty. This one. Yeah. I, I walked in there. I grabbed two magazines. There's a freaking line at this gas station. So it's small. And the guy behind me set, like taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, man. That's bad for you. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, sorry. So I walk up to the counter. I show the uh, cashier my ID and she looks at the ID. Then she looks at me, looks at the ID and she says, you just made it. Hey, 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 we're back. Back, another episode of The Long Road Home Alone. I am Joey Z, here with Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for having me here, too. You're welcome. Um, How you doing? You good? I'm all right. What are we talking about today? Well, um, I have a correction uh, or just, is it a correction? It's a personal correction. Um, uh, maybe not factual, but just to clear the air. Oh, no. I uh, I can't believe that I said Joe Pesci isn't funny. Because oh. My Cousin Vinny is one of my favorite comedies. You know, I was thinking that. Uh, it occurred to it, me. It was like, My Cousin Vinny is one of the best comedies I think I've ever seen. It's great. I love it. I've, I've seen it a million times. I can't always call up this stuff instantly because... We record these just in the dead of night, and I'm tired. I mean, I forgave you in the episode, but I'll forgive you again here. Yeah. I just let the record show. I don't think Joe... I didn't didn't give Joe Pesci enough credit. I didn't give myself enough credit. Yeah. So here I am. I'm making up. All right. Um, Yeah. What are we talking about today? No clothes on anybody. Sickening. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Buzz's stuff. Yeah. So I feel like this is another moment in Home Alone where Kevin uh, is pushing the boundaries of what he's normally allowed to do, breaks into his brother's room, and let's remember, Buzz wouldn't let him sleep in his room if he was if you were growing, growing on, on his, his ass. ass. Right. So this is definitely this is a place. A big transgression. Not supposed yeah. to be here. And he's going through all of his private stuff. Right. Now, I feel like, okay, Buzz is what, 14, 15? 14, 15, I think maybe 15. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot older than Kevin. So Quite this is like older. a treasure trove. I always thought it was, when I was a kid, I thought, wow, Buzz has a Playboy. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And he's just got it. And it's laying right on top. Yeah, I think we we've, mentioned we've this. We've talked about this. We mentioned this, this yeah. before. Not a good place to keep your Playboy. Not a great place. Not even hiding it. And then I think as I got older, I was like, well, what issue of Playboy is that? Mm -hmm. And it's a brand new issue. I mean, yeah. Buzz just got this thing. It's like off yeah. the news. July 1989. So this would have yeah. been like a couple months before the movie took place. Right. A few months before yeah. the movie took place. Brand new Playboy. It's not like one that was, yeah. you know, that was hidden away. It's not from like the early 80s or something. No. Um, fun fact about that Playboy though is and this I, I this is really i feel this is like this is really weird you're gonna talk about under siege aren't you i am <laughs> yes okay so for those who don't realize it this random july 1989 issue of playboy is the same issue of playboy that appears what three years later i think under siege is 92 so 92 yeah. so two years later yeah in under siege mm -hmm. the steven seagal film yeah and when I first saw Under Siege, it was well after Home Alone. Yeah. And I did a double take. Yeah. I think the cover appears in, like, well, the, the cover's definitely in Home Alone, but well, it shows cover, up multiple times in Under Siege, totally. too. Totally. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, that's the same Playboy from Home Alone. Well, and then that actress who posed in that, I think she's in the centerfold of that Playboy in, in Home Alone, she's basically Seagull's co-star to take back the ship from... Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she is the actual model. Yes. From that Playboy, but yeah. she's not. She's not playing herself in the she movie. Is, is she is. I'm pretty sure. She, no, it isn't her name. It's not her name. But she is playing herself in that. Like both her and the character she's playing posed in that edition of Playboy. So that's a weird sort of rewriting of history to mm. use this prop from the real world. Yeah. And. She is like a model in a magazine in real life, and they're using that real magazine, but they're uh, but they're assigning that person to her character yes. instead. What do you think about um, Under Siege? Do you like that movie? I really love Tommy Lee Jones, and I really love Gary Busey. I oh, like yeah. both of those guys just knock it out of the park. Uh, Tommy they Lee make the movie, yeah. for sure. Tommy Lee Jones especially. I don't know if he was doing cocaine while acting in the film, but he did a good job pretending as if he was if he didn't. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones can conjure that character yeah. well. I got real Mick Jagger vibes from him. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure that's kind of like the persona he was drawing on you think so you're sure that that was the persona i'm not sure but i think maybe oh there was another so i just watched another movie recently that was related to i don't know just like battles or whatever you ever seen the movie crimson tide yeah i've seen it it's directed by tony scott and it got me to thinking about all of these like different well, Tony Scott is Ridley Scott's brother. Ridley Scott, yes. of course, yeah. we know, directed Alien, Blade Runner. Uh, 
I don't know, it just gets me to thinking of like, those guys have both contributed a lot to cinema in different ways. I love Tony Scott. I thought yeah. I, I thought he had a great career. I mean, always in the shadow of Ridley Scott, yeah. you know, who's a, you know, a serious filmmaker in his heyday. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tony Scott, I mean, gr- a lot of great movies. I really liked his style. What is that? Top Gun and uh, Days of Thunder. Days are like of two Thunder. of his big yeah. ones from the 80s. I don't love those ones, actually. No. I, I like him more in the 90s. Yeah, Enemy of the State is one of my favorites. But that Crimson Crimson in particular so normally i think of tony scott as kind of like doing the same thing as michael bay you know um and i don't say that in a way that's meant to be disparaging because i really like michael bay in the 90s i like the rock yeah i like armageddon totally i have a great time with those and i think tony scott does the same thing he does a great job like creating this suspense but it's you know it's kind of you know it's not much fun yeah there's not much depth to it but it's a lot of fun crimson tide things are guaranteed to blow up yes that's that's for sure crimson tide made me think otherwise though i feel like crimson tide is where like he really showed what he was capable of you know like watch that movie and anytime the submarine dives you're seeing like the camera move with it you're feeling the the crew like shifting with with the submarine moving and then i'm wondering now maybe i'm thinking about hunt for red october yeah so this is that one when you said crimson tide i was actually thinking that Catherine bigelow directed that but she did k19 Widowmaker. She did? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought she did Hurt Locker. She did that too. Oh. Yeah, she's a film, she's a filmmaker. Alright. Boys is life savings. How much do you think is in Buzz's life savings? Kevin goes, ooh, Buzz's life savings. And it looks like it's $25. I think it might be, yeah. Maybe like 50 at best. Uh, He gives the cashier a 20 at the store. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't he know. Goes I'm thinking grocery like, shopping and he doesn't buy anything else because he steals the toothbrush. Yeah. But, you know, life savings. Yeah. And that Playboy is $4. Is it? Yeah. I don't know if he paid retail price for it. I but. assume Buzz got the play. Oh, speaking of Under Siege, you know what's another good Seagal film? You ever seen Executive Decision? Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. I love it. You don't think of it as a Seagal film since he's not the star. Yeah. But man, that movie is so good. Yeah. So underrated. Yeah. And I will say this, this spoils the movie just a little bit, but... Seagal dies in the first like 20 minutes of the movie and I feel like it's the best Seagal has ever been you know they like took his name and like this is a Seagal and Kurt Russell film and then they kill him off in the first 25 minutes like just brilliant and he like sacrifices himself and everything oh man I just love the whole thing you know so there's there's a fun story behind that because Seagal was contractually obligated to make that movie by Warner Brothers. He didn't want to? No, he didn't want to because I mean he was like he whether or not he was, he was he perceived himself at the peak of his game then. He was a the, a leading man. Yeah. He's like Steven Seagal movies. He was not trying to play a character who was going to die in the first 20 minutes. So he was contractually obligated because the previous movie he had made was on deadly ground which i think was his directorial debut so that's a steven seagal movie directed by steven seagal oh boy starring him so i think 
Warner Brothers was uh, was a little tentative. So he had a deal on it, which was for any amount that the film went over budget Mm -hmm. that came out of his salary from the film. (laughs) And it went so over budget that the budget exceeded his salary. (laughs) So he didn't get paid for On Deadly Ground, which is a rotten movie. It's so preachy and stupid. And so he basically, (laughs) he owed the studio money. And so Warner Brothers said, all right, you'll make us whole if you do executive decision. So you really didn't want to. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense that Seagal probably wouldn't have chosen to be in a movie where he died in the first hour. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Baird directed that movie. Uh, Do you know him? Yeah, yeah, I know Stuart Baird. I didn't know he directed that movie. No, he directed that. He directed U.S. Marshals. Uh, The other film he did was Star Trek Nemesis. Nemesis. uh, Yes. Which... I guess famously maligned. Yeah, I guess he knew almost nothing about Star Trek. And on set, he was pretty much at odds with most of the cast because he had no working knowledge of the universe in which he was directing the 10th film in a series that took place. Yeah. Two shows. And the fifth film of TNG. Yes. Two. Yeah. Of a really, you know, a really precious IP in its own right. Yes. So you show up to on set not knowing hardly anything about the whole universe. And, uh, and Stuart Baird's like, well, you got some Wookiees around here or yeah. something? And Jonathan Frakes felt slighted, at least from what I've read, because he directed the last two films. Right. Uh, LeVar Burton was another one who wanted to direct that LeVar movie. LeVar Burton was kind of in line. He no was. one had promised it to him, but yeah. it was kind of his turn. Um, But you were saying something about contractual obligation. Yes. The only reason he came to direct that movie was because whatever he had done before gave him a slot to like at Paramount was like, if this movie comes open, you get to direct it. And he basically got slotted, even though he had no working knowledge of the entire universe, hadn't seen the show. Speaking of Seagal, have you ever seen The Glimmer Man? No. Oh, man. You were talking about Tony Scott, and then that made me think of Damon Wayans in The Last Boy Scout. And Glimmer Man is Keenan Ivory Wayans. Oh, okay. It's a serial killer movie, and Seagal is a Buddhist. It's really like the worst kind of that era of Seagal, where he's almost chanting Om. He always has prayer beads on, and he's wearing his, you know, Eastern Asian garb, but he's a cop. I don't know much about Seagal's career in general. It's largely just the two Under Siege movies, and... uh executive decision and it sounds like executive decision you didn't even want to be a part of so it's not really a Seagal film I'll tell you one that's late that I actually think is kind of a sleeper Mm. in its exit wounds you ever heard of it is that uh DMX yes sir oh yeah yeah Yeah. that one's got twists and turns man that's like it's also I like that one because it takes place in Detroit Mm. but they clearly shot it in Canada I mean, nothing about this movie. I mean, there's so many street scenes and city scenes. And it's like, this is this doesn't remotely resemble Detroit. But they did manage to put a Michigan license plate on every car in that movie. DMX, you think he's the villain, but then it turns out that he's like kind of undercover. And you learn that like deep into act two. Oh, boy. And then you find out that Seagal's best friend, who was the oh, man, who is that guy? Which is the lead in this movie, Seagal or DMX? 
Seagal. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they're they're co-stars, but but the protagonist is Seagal. What's that movie? Double Team. Uh, oh, Dennis that's, Rodman. That's, is that that's Steven? Jean-Claude. That's Steven? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme's in that movie? That's, oh. that's a JCVD movie. I thought that Double was, Team. Man, how could I confuse Jean-Claude Van Damme with Stephen Baldwin? That's embarrassing. Stephen <laughs> <laughs> I also love when Kevin opens up the chest and he picks up the picture of Buzz's girlfriend. Woof. Yeah. Uh, this is another one si- similar to like when Joe Pesci throws the crowbar after having been, you know, yes. hit in the chest. Uh, I think Kevin places You're the right. frame down and, and there's another shattered, shattered glass. You're right. You're right. That's man. <laughs> what great Foley. <laughs> Sound design had fun. Yeah. They did that twice. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and a fun fact is that Chris Columbus felt like Kevin saying, buzz your girlfriend, woof, and then like throwing it away would have been too mean to actually say about a picture of a real girl. So yeah. they basically just put a boy in a wig and then just had yeah. that be Buzz's it was, girlfriend. It was the art director's son. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> What were we saying about Jean-Claude Van Damme? Oh, um, well, you've seen Bloodsport, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Man, that movie is good. Took place in Kowloon, Walled City. Rest in peace. I mean, they shot a little bit of it there. Well, the story takes place in Kowloon, Walled City. They... No, the oh yeah, no, you're right. The, yeah, the the they the did... Kumite yes. is behind those doors yeah. in Kowloon, Walled City. Yeah, they did yeah. actually As shoot. If. They did actually shoot a few shots. They there. did. Yeah, no, the 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 stuff that's in the alleyways is is there. Well, there which was... is probably one of the few. I mean, it's kind of a cool artifact, yeah. a historical artifact to just see the inside walls of Kowloon Walled City. I, I think Bloodsport was filmed before the city had been evacuated, too. Um, there's a Jackie Chan film that came out a couple years later, and they also shot in Kowloon Walled City. But, but it had been evacuated. It had been evacuated, and it, and, and it, was, getting, down, it yeah. was getting ready for demolition, and so they were able to just use it without having to worry about you know interfering with residents that live there. The thing I love about so many Jean-Claude Van Damme films is... They just don't attempt to explain his accent. No. I just love it. Is he he's playing? So, a, so I haven't seen He's always many. like playing cops or playing. Like New York cops or whatever. Yeah, right, like so he's supposed like, to be an American. But. Yeah. I mean, in, in Sudden Death, he's playing a security guard at the Pittsburgh Penguins Arena. And he's got two American children. And there's just no, like, no one's ever like, why are, why are you Belgian? What movie is this? Why is this taking place in Pittsburgh? Oh, well, they, in, I think it was 90. Nothing against heard, Pittsburgh, by the way. I no, have just, a lot of respect for no, Pittsburgh. No, it's just you don't you don't see a lot of movies shot in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So there so it was the NHL strike. Mm. And so the enterprising owner of the arena in Pittsburgh was like, well, if we're not playing hockey, why don't you shoot a movie in here? Oh wow. So they shot a movie where Good idea. Know, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a fun movie. It's not Van Damme's best, but it's unique. You don't see a lot of movies, a lot of action movies that take place in a hockey arena. No. So it's kind of fun. Lethal Weapon 3. The whole movie doesn't take place there, but a scene takes place there. Yeah, well, this whole movie takes place there. I, I love that. Going back to Joe Pesci and why he's so funny. Uh, I love that scene in Lethal Weapon 3, which isn't one of my favorites in the Lethal Weapon series, by the way. But there's... I did see that one in the theater. You did see? Yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that one, that one I definitely saw on VHS, but I love that in the hockey arena, Joe Pesci gets shot, and then the next scene, they're in a hospital, and Joe Pesci's like, hey, Riggs, Murtaugh, we're all the same. We all got shot. <laughs> I love that, too. Yes. Um, have you ever seen Death Warrant? No. Oh, that's another good one where they're like, he's... <laughs> They, they halfway try to explain it where he's just beating guys up on the street in L.A. And then he's called in. He's a cop and he's called in. And the chief is like, this isn't Canada, Burke. This is L.A. And it's like, wait, oh, he's Canadian. Oh, he's French Canadian. OK, that's how we're going to wait. It. Is like French Canada, the Wild West of Canada or something. And Who he's knows? like, he's come. To I think it's a I think it's a, a line that's dropped to explain away his accent. Oh, to okay. you know, it's like ah, Belgian, French, Canadian. No one's going to know the difference. Yeah. But he's a he's a Mountie. Yeah. He's like Canadian mounted police. And the FBI has brought him in to embed him deep undercover in a prison to try to look for a serial killer because no one's going to know him because he's Canadian. He's going into a prison to look for a serial killer? I don't is he like killing prisoners? Or, yeah, he's is, killing, or right. is he escaping every night and killing well, no, he's citizens? Killing, he's killing prisoners. So prisoners are dying and they think it's a serial killer. Ah, okay. So, But actually it's a whole thing. You know, it's like the warden is in on it and uh, the warden is Art Lafleur. Do you know him? I he's, know the name. I just can't place of, a face to it. You'll know him from First Kid. But that that one is the the prison is like a penal colony and like the deeper levels that they go, that's where the guards don't go. Yeah. And they're just like cooking drugs and making weapons and stuff down there. Like the rules make no sense. It's awesome. I'm tragically undereducated when it comes to Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is particularly sad because the first rated R film, which I ever saw in theaters partially was time cop. Uh, my dad used to run a second run theater. It was single screen and time cop was running through there. And for whatever reason, he was just enamored with the scene at the end where Ron Silver as the villain dies and has like morphed into or whatever. It's really cool. Yeah. And so my dad took us up to the theater while it was closed. He took us up to the projection booth, threw on the last reel of Time Cop, and we got to watch Ron Silver get morphed into himself from the projection booth. That's in an a, empty theater. In an empty theater. First rated R experience I've ever had. And my, my dad told us to keep it a secret from my mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've just violated his trust. Statute of limitation. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Pops. <laughs> if there's one, if you're trying to fill in some blanks, um, I mean, hot takes here, maybe not. I think a lot of people agree with me, but I think Jean-Claude Van Damme is way better. I think his sense of humor is way better. Hmm. I think his martial arts are way more impressive. Mm -hmm. And I think overall, he has more movies that are tolerable. Hmm. Though I will give, some people hate Steven Seagal just completely. I feel um, and like, I, and I can't quite get there because there are a number of Seagal films that I actually enjoy. I feel like I really love Under Siege, but I love it in spite of Steven Seagal. I feel like he's one of the low points in the movie, and I have yet to see a movie where Seagal is like, you know, I do like him in Executive Decision. I think he does a pretty good job there. Yeah. His career could have gone a different way if he'd had a, a little more humility and yeah. been comfortable foraying into supporting roles. And he might not be making these like Chinese produced straight to VOD yeah. $100,000 movies that nobody watches. I mean, he might still be mm -hmm. playing smaller characters. Hanging out with uh, Vladimir Putin. Exactly. 
clothes than anybody. Sickening. All right. So in the break, mm-hmm. the producer kind of chastise us a little bit i i feel like we i feel like we've been doing a pretty good job but i guess kind of some notes on staying on topic yeah so we've got macaulay culkin uh kevin McAllister, is in buzz's bedroom uh going through his chest he yeah. uh he yeah. finds the fireworks uh-huh and then and, yeah the firecrackers and yeah. the playboy and then hey uh so speaking of rated r films uh, do you ever see The Good Son? Oh, yeah. Macaulay Culkin's first rated R film. Yeah, no. And speaking of Macaulay Culkin, too. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Home Alone. Oh, Good Son and Elijah Wood, too. Yeah. And Elijah Wood is such a little wimp in that movie. He's yeah. like, oh, he's the good boy. Yeah. That's, it's not a, it's not a good movie. No. But I, it's, it's pretty fun, though. As a kid, I, I think I saw that when I was like nine or ten years old. And I just remember feeling like I'd been treated to something dark that a kid wasn't supposed to see but it was really exciting. I So I remember when that movie came out and I was a Macaulay Culkin fan because, I mean, hello, Home Alone. I'd Uncle seen Home Buck. Alone, Uncle Buck. So I distinctly remember learning about it because I was at the hair salon getting my hair cut. I was waiting in line and uh, my barber or haircutter person was talking about it. And she was like, I just don't think it's right that Macaulay Culkin is in a rated R movie. And my my ears perked up. I was like, what? I got to see this. His first F-bomb is great because he's having a conversation with Elijah Wood. And then Elijah Wood's basically like, well, my mom's dead. So now your mom's my mom now. And then Elijah Wood leaves the treehouse. And as he's on his way down, Macaulay Culkin looks down and he says, don't f- with me, good son. <laughs> Um, did you ever see My Girl? I've never seen that. I do know the ending, though. You uh, you accused me one time of not liking the heartsy stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm going to fess up. Mm. In this case, I don't. It, I saw that movie when it came out. I was young, yeah. and what an eye roll. I was disgusted. Yeah. yeah. I was sickened by that movie, how melodramatic it was. As much as like during Forrest Gump. I didn't see Forrest Gump when it came out. Oh, okay. I saw Forrest Gump 2. There's a sequel to My Girl, which seems strange. No, that's what I was thinking of. There's, I saw My Girl 2. Oh, yeah. I saw My Girl 1, 2. Did, which one did you see first? My Girl 1. Did you see Home Alone 2 first or Home Alone oh, 1 first? No. no. I saw Home Alone before Home Alone 2 came out, man. That's right. I'm old school. No, I remember that. I remember that. We both did. Uh-huh. Come on. We would have no right to make this show if we were some late bloomer home alone chumps what are some other macaulay culkin films uh oh he did getting even with dad that is a great formulaic family comedy it just it plays by the book yeah but it works you can sit down and watch that movie and never go oh this is really dragon yeah like it just clips along there's no eye rolls like there is in my girl when macaulay culkin dies from bees oh god that girl she when he dies the thing that really got me about that one was so he wears glasses in yeah. that movie he's like a big nerd yeah and he's that's, aller- that, that's what determines if you have glasses to, though yeah if you're yeah if you wear glasses you're yeah. a nerd um 
he, and he's allergic to stuff. He's he's always like well, doing, bees, doing his inhaler and stuff. Yeah. And then he dies because he, he gets stung by all the bees and his glasses fall off and she's crying and sobbing and she's going, he needs his glasses. He can't see without, without his glasses. And I just, I just wanted to tear the tape mm. out of the video cassette. I yeah. just, ugh, yeah. I hate it. Who wrote that? Get a real job. Were you watching it in the room with somebody who was crying during that scene? I don't know. Probably. Ugh. I bet you ruined the experience for them. They, the movie ruined the experience for me. So Buzz's room is just another step along Kevin's journey throughout Home Alone. And there are all of these different places in his house that he hasn't, you know, been able to explore different parts of his life that he hasn't been able to explore. And I feel like Buzz's room in particular is one of the I can't go in there zones, especially because Buzz says it. So, oh, yeah prohibitively off limits. Yeah. And so it almost makes you think that maybe he's almost never been in there before. And we kind of get insight into buzz more than just the bully of the little brother that we see through Kevin's lens. Mm. He has we a girlfriend. See, he has a girlfriend and a playboy. And he also is clearly into sports mm -hmm. and he's got an iced tea poster yes. on his wall, which is cool. So we, we I, get some you know, insight into like what he likes. We've brought this up a few times before and I feel like it's worth calling back. But Buzz, we also learn, is the kind of kid who keeps a Playboy on the top of his chest. And I think that says something about Buzz. I th what you're saying is like Buzz is unabashedly Buzz. Mm -hmm. He's not afraid to be Buzz. So yes. maybe in a maybe in some way Buzz has sort of figured himself out. Yes. I th this is um, this has felt really productive mm -hmm. to me. And I, you know what? I'm starting to think Buzz is a real role model for Kevin McAllister. I think that's what I've learned today. He couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. Home Alone is broadcast live from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. It's hosted by Jimmy Dantes and Joey Z and produced by Pat Muldoon. Until next time, eat junk and listen to rubbish. <laughs>